Hey listeners, we have a very rare opening for an associate sound designer mixer here at DeFacto Sound. That's my sound design studio and the studio behind 20,000 Hertz. To learn more, visit jobs.defactosound.com. This application window closes on May 22nd. Now, onto the show. You're listening to 20,000 Hertz. This land is your land, and this land is my land. This Land is Your Land is one of the most famous American folk songs ever written. It's even been called our other national anthem. But this song, somehow, does not belong to you and me. You can't sing it on stage or put it on a record or in a movie without paying someone to use it. The only way I can even play it is because of fair use. And this song has been enveloped in a growing national debate about copyright law. This land was made for you and me. For thousands of years, people have been making and sharing music. And for thousands of years, nobody really owned it. It just existed. But with the rise of our ability to sell music, the way we determine who owns it has changed dramatically. My name is Sandra Astars. Sandra is a professor at George Mason University. And uh, I teach a class here where we represent artists and entertainers on copyright and entertainment law issues. To start with the very basics, copyright law is intended to protect authors of creative work. Whether those are musicians or literary authors or software programmers, visual authors. To create work, you have to just record it or write it down. You don't even necessarily have to sell it or market it to own the copyright. A lot of people don't realize that you don't need to go to a government entity and register for a copyright in order to own a copyright in your work. You as the author own the copyright in the work from the moment that it's set down in some sort of tangible medium. If you come up with a melody and lyrics in the shower, and you record it on your phone, you own the copyright. If you post it online and some famous singer rips it off, you could theoretically sue and legally co-own that song. That is, assuming you could afford to take it to court. But since music is art, and art is confusing, it's usually not that easy to tell what's a ripoff and what is just inspired by somebody else. Everybody understands that people are inspired by other people's works, maybe even unintentionally. You know, they've got some earworm that shows up after they've been concentrating on composing something, and it kind of sneaks into the work totally unintentionally. So is it inspiration or theft? That's the basic question behind a copyright lawsuit. One recent copyright dispute was the hit song Stay With Me by Sam Smith which came out in 2014. It goes like this. Oh, won't you stay with me? Cause you're all I the chorus uses the same melody as Won't Back Down by Tom Petty. Tom Petty's publisher got in touch with Sam Smith, who listened to both and acknowledged the clear similarity. They said it was a complete accident, and that was it. Tom Petty was given co-songwriting credits, which means he's also entitled to royalties. 
Let's hear them back to back one more time. Oh, won't you stay with me? Well, back down. Tom Petty was quoted in Rolling Stone magazine as saying, quote, I have never had any hard feelings towards Sam. Most times you catch it before the song gets out the door, but in this case, it got by. End quote. So this case was solved easily. Both artists agreed on the result. And like many of these cases, it was settled out of court. So we don't have much information about it. But what we do know is that it's not uncommon for cases to get a lot messier than this. And unsurprisingly, many artists don't like being accused of theft. For example, in 2018, Lana Del Rey posted a tweet claiming that Radiohead was suing her for ownership of the song Get Free alleging that it was similar to their 1992 song, Creep. Here's Creep from Radiohead. But I'm a creep I'm a And here's Get Free by Lana Del Rey. This is my commitment My modern manifesto Lana Del Rey tweeted that Radiohead sued her looking for 100% of the publishing rights. Radiohead's publishers shot back, saying that, in fact, no lawsuit had been filed, but that they had been in talks with Lana Del Rey's publisher about the similarities. Musical copyright is split into two categories. First, master rights control how music is used in film or television, and who can use it. And second, publishing rights, which protect the actual songwriting, music, and lyrics. Radiohead and Lana Del Rey apparently settled, though neither side has said exactly what agreement they came to. These cases are rarely public. The only reason we know anything is because Lana Del Rey performed it in Brazil later that year and said this. I mean, now that my lawsuit's over, I guess I can sing that song anytime I want, right? But here's the twist. In 1992, after Creep was released, Radiohead was sued for plagiarizing Creep from an early 70s song by The Hollies, Here's Radiohead again. And this is The Air I Breathe by The Hollies. In the early 90s, the two songwriters of The Hollies successfully sued Radiohead and are now credited as songwriters on Creep. Every copyright claim has to be looked at case by case, And to actually make decisions about violations, it's important to zoom in and look at the elements that music is made of. Music is a shared language, so there are tons of parts of music that everybody owns. Like, you can't copyright a single musical note. In Western music, there are only 12 of them. So if somebody were to own the note G, it would be almost impossible to write music. It's a common form of expression, like a letter of the alphabet you can't own it. Non-ownable forms of expression exist in other media as well. In visual art, you can't copyright a single shape, like a circle or a square. And in literature, you can't copyright emotions. You can take that idea pretty far, too. For example, if you were to write a play where boy meets girl, but their families were in a blood feud, so they try to run away with each other and it all goes horribly wrong, that'd be fine. Even though that's the same basic plot behind Romeo and Juliet. On the other hand, if someone were to copy a Shakespearean ballad from beginning to end, that would clearly be a copyright infringement. Basically, you can't own things that are considered common. So in music, a 4-4 rock beat 
or a simple bass line, are pretty common and almost impossible to copyright. Likewise, many folk melodies include scales and even lyrical phrases that are simply too common to own. So when these cases go to court, each side has to prove if something is a common expression or if it's actually unique intellectual property. The parties bring in musicologists that explain various subtleties of music composition and try to help the jury understand which areas are protectable and which areas are not. Not surprisingly, the musicologist for the plaintiff will typically disagree with the musicologist for the defendant. And so you'll have two competing assertions of what's protectable and what's not protectable. So in a hypothetical case, like Radiohead versus Lana Del Rey, Lana Del Rey's lawyers would likely argue that the chord progression isn't unique enough for Radiohead to own. Radiohead's lawyers, on the other hand, would argue the opposite. And what's surprising is that it would be up to a jury to decide. Not experts, but a regular old jury. Music is really an interesting area of the law here because we as listeners, audiences, we have our own ideas of what sounds similar, what doesn't sound similar. So a group of people who might not know anything about actually writing or playing music get to make the decision. The harder question is where to draw the line when you're talking about something that incorporates common types of musical expression. And that line has been making some musicians very nervous. It leads to some pretty dark places because if you can own one specific simple chord progression, you can own basically anything and anybody can sue anybody else for any kind of little chord progression that is in any song. This is Adam Neely. I'm a bass player and also a music education YouTuber. Adam has a great YouTube channel and has made a couple popular videos about music plagiarism. Adam says that recently the interpretation of copyright law has started finding plagiarism. But he thinks that many of these cases should just be considered inspiration. So historically, musicians have always built on what other musicians have done. We use the same scales, we use the same chord progressions, we use the same kinds of rhythms. And to say that you can own one of those elements in such a specific manner is just disingenuous to the entire art form and the entire craft. In the last couple of years, there have been a few cases that have made huge waves in the world of songwriting. Cases that have changed the way we think of music ownership entirely. We'll talk about those cases after the break. By the time I need to hire someone at my sound design studio, DeFacto Sound, I'm already slammed. That's why Indeed is super useful. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. Indeed takes all of the labor-intensive parts of searching and matching for candidates and does them for you. Indeed's smart matching engine will read through dozens of applications and cross-reference them against each other. Indeed will also send out messages to all the candidates that didn't make it with just one click. It's not just about saving time, it's also about quality. According to their own data, 93% of employers say that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. And we've got a great deal for you. Right now, our listeners can get a $75 sponsored job credit at Indeed.com Hertz. That's Indeed.com H-E-R-T-Z. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. In the last couple of years, a few massive cases have rocked the world of songwriting. Contemporary pop stars have gone up against giants of music and unknown artists alike. In 2018, Ed Sheeran was sued for the similarity between his song, Thinking Out Loud, and Marvin Gaye's song, Let's Get It On. This lawsuit is mainly interesting because it isn't about the melody, like most copyright cases. Instead, this one is about the bass line, the chords, and the drum groove. Here's Thinking Out Loud by Ed Sheeran. Pay attention to the bass and drums. Darling, I will be loving you till we're 70. And here's Let's Get It On by Marvin Gaye. So let's dissect this. The bass line and drum groove are definitely similar, but the vocal melody is different, and the lyrics are different. The musical key is also different, but the chord progression is basically the same. I'm going to layer these two songs on top of each other, with Ed Sheeran's song pitched up a little bit so they're in tune together. Listen to how the basic framework of the songs is the same, but all of the details in between are different. So the chords and the drum beat match, but neither Marvin Gaye or Ed Sheeran invented these elements. These chords are a progression known as one, three, four, five. And the drum beat is a basic rock drum pattern, like you might learn in your first few drum lessons. Marvin Gaye pretty much reshaped the way our culture sings about love. In many ways, what we think of as a smooth romantic song can be attributed to his sensibilities. And it's hard to create a contemporary romantic song without a nod to Marvin Gaye. But inspiration isn't illegal. And according to Adam, musicians have always built on what other musicians have done. So the context of what comes before gives new music part of its meaning. Adam argues that this is just a contemporary version of a very old musical concept called contus firmus. Contus firmus was basically the technique of taking a melody that had already been written and then writing other melodies on top of it. Adam says this has been standard compositional technique for hundreds of years. This is how Mozart learned how to compose. This is how Beethoven learned how to compose. Everybody learned to write by basically stealing other people's melodies and then writing other stuff on top of that. And that's not just for classical music. Think about folk songs. It was super common for people to learn songs from their parents or at church and add new verses and pass them on. Or people would just take a melody they already knew and change the lyrics. 
Which brings us back to Woody Guthrie's This Land is Your Land. This land is your land, and this land is my land. So that song that all of us know simply repurposed a melody from the Carter family. Here's their song, When the World's on Fire, from about 10 years before. Oh, loving mother, when the world's on fire, don't you want God's bosom to be your pillow? Pretty similar, right? Well, the Carter family didn't make it up either. It was originally a Baptist gospel hymn called Oh My Loving Brother. The Carter family even repurposed the same melody again for other songs. But none of this was unusual. These weren't seen as plagiarism, and the original songwriters were often anonymous or long, long gone. The first U.S. copyright law passed in 1790. At that time, copyright lasted 14 years, and you could only renew it once. After that, it was in the public domain, which means anybody could use it. Commercial, private, whatever. In 1909, copyright was extended to 28 years, then extended again in 1976, and again in 1998. It keeps expanding. So when Woody Guthrie released This Land Is Your Land, it wasn't like copyright didn't exist. People just treated music compositions differently, and a lot more of it was considered common expression. There were references to references to references, an inception level of copyright violations in all types of music. In fact, the note that Guthrie submitted with his copyright application read, quote, Anybody caught singing it without our permission will be mighty good friends of ours, because we don't give a darn. Publish it. Write it. Sing it. Swing to it. Yodel it. We wrote it, and that's all we wanted to do. End quote. Keeping that in mind, in 2004, the comedy website JibJab posted a video with parody lyrics of the song. This land is your land. This land is my land. I'm a Texas tiger. A company called the Richmond Organization claimed that they had purchased the copyright of This Land is Your Land and threatened legal action. To be proactive, JibJab sued first, claiming not only that the parody was fair use, but that the Richmond Organization didn't own it at all. JibJab won the parody part, but the Richmond organization still claims ownership. But how? If a song was copyrighted in the 1940s and could only be held for 28 years, it seems like it should be in the public domain today. By the mid-70s, copyright was extended to 70 years, or the life of the author plus 50 years. And then, in the late 90s, that was extended to a whopping 120 years, or the life of the author plus 70. Just to reiterate that, what started as a law to protect a work for 14 years now will keep a work as private property for 120. This is exactly how the Happy Birthday song was held for so long. For years, chain restaurants would sing some weird version of a birthday song. Happy, happy birthday, from Apple we see you. We wish it was our birthday so we could party too. Hey, happy birthday. And that was because the one we all know was protected by copyright despite the fact that it was written sometime around 1912. The company that owned it was successfully sued recently, and now anybody can use the Happy Birthday song for anything. Finally, we can get rid of those uncomfortable Happy Birthday songs and get back to the real one. After Happy Birthday was released into the public domain, This Land Is Your Land came up in court again. It appeared as if it might be released, but it wasn't. The judge ruled that the Richmond organization still retained ownership of the song, and it will not be in the public domain anytime soon. 
The idea behind intellectual property is the protection of the artist. And as an artist and as a musician and talking to people around me, nobody feels protected by this. The only people who feel protected by this are the estates of pop artists who have passed. On the other hand, Woody Guthrie's daughter Nora told the New York Times that this isn't about the money. It's about protecting the song from abuse and political use. Copyright is meant to allow artists to create work and to legally own it. Then you can prevent other people from stealing it and claiming it as their own. And that makes sense, because who wouldn't want their work to help support their family, even after they're gone? That brings us to Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin was notorious for brazenly borrowing from other songs. There's even a Wikipedia page called Led Zeppelin Songs Written or Inspired by Others. Here's Led Zeppelin's Whole Lot of Love from 1969. You need And here's You Need Love by Willie Dixon, sung by Muddy Waters from six years earlier. You got yawning, and I got bunny. Baby, you look so sweet and cunning. Here's the Lemon Song by Led Zeppelin. I should have quit you. And here's Killing Floor by Howlin' Wolf. Covering songs or attributing parts of a song are normal, but Led Zeppelin released these as their own, with themselves listed as the sole songwriters. They'd actually even covered that Howlin' Wolf song before, but when they released Lemon's song, they didn't credit him, until they were sued and forced to. Here's Dazed and Confused by Led Zeppelin. Been dazed and confused for so long, it's not true. Wanted a woman, never bargained for you. And here's Dazed and Confused from a few years earlier by Jake Holmes. I'm dazed and confused as it stays it go. Am I being choosed? Well, I'd just like to know. On this one, Led Zeppelin didn't even bother to change the name. And this song was originally credited to just Led Zeppelin. It was later changed to Inspired by Jake Holmes and settled out of court. Many of the world's most famous musicians, from Bach to B.B. King, embrace the practice of borrowing bass lines, melodies, and drum beats. But when does it cross the line from borrowing to outright stealing? Some argue that this line is starting to move toward finding infringement too freely. In 2019, Katy Perry lost a lawsuit to the Christian rapper Flame. A jury found that her song Dark Horse featured an element that was too similar to Flame's song Joyful Noise. Here's the beginning of Katy Perry's Dark Horse. And here's the beginning of Flame's Joyful Noise. Your boy's been a Christian quite a few years. Yeah. Victory and faith, but I failed in my fears. The similarity wasn't the melody, or a lyric or a beat. It was something called an ostinato, a repeating musical phrase, which in this case was a short synthesizer line. Here's Adam Neely's YouTube video demonstrating Flame's ostinato in Joyful Noise. It sounds like this. Dark Horse's ostinato sounds suspiciously similar. Wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry about that. That's actually not the Katy Perry. That's the Adagio from Bach's Violin Sonata in F minor. This is Katy Perry's Dark Horse. 
Wait, sorry, got confused again. That's the traditional Christmas carol, Jolly Old St. Nicholas. This is actually Katy Perry's Dark Horse. So the question is, is this similar enough to Joyful Noise to legally be the same piece of music? The jury seems to have ruled that that is the case. In these examples, Adam plays these notes on a synthesizer that sounds like the Katy Perry and Flame songs. So theoretically, you could argue that it's not just the notes, but it's also the presentation of these notes. In this case, an airy-sounding synth instrument. With that in mind, here's a song from the early 80s called Moments in Love by the band Art of Noise. Clearly, Flame was not the first person to play a minor key ostinato like this in music. But the case wasn't about where Flame got the idea, it was whether Katy Perry had plagiarized it from Flame. This ruling was actually reversed in 2020 in favor of Katy Perry. But Adam still worries that these kinds of cases can paralyze creativity. I really dislike the fact that this is being turned against people who are actually writing and creating music. Will I be protected? Will I be sued because I used a certain chord progression? Like, what is the new law? I don't know. And he says a lot of musicians feel confused and incredibly frustrated by the way this works. So add on to that the internet and how remix culture and remixing of music has just exploded because of that and meme culture and everywhere else. Copyright as a whole system just doesn't work the way that it's supposed to. It's supposed to protect people, but it doesn't. There's so few examples I can see of people genuinely needing copyright and genuinely relying upon copyright to protect them. As if copyright and song ownership wasn't complicated enough, hip-hop in the 80s threw a whole new wrench in the gears with sampling. We'll deconstruct a whole new batch of cases next time. Twenty Thousand Hertz is hosted by me, Dallas Taylor, and produced out of the studios of DeFacto Sound, a sound design team dedicated to making television, film, and games sound incredible. Find out more at defactosound.com. This episode was written and produced by Phil Corbett and me, Dallas Taylor, with help from Sam Sneebly. It was sound designed and mixed by Soren Bejan and Nick Spradlin. The writer of this show, Phil Corbett, is also the host of a fantastic podcast called Van Sounds. It's a unique blend of music journalism, travel writing, and experimental radio. You can find Van Sounds on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks to our guests, Sandra Astars and Adam Neely, for speaking with us. I am a huge, huge, huge fan of Adam Neely's YouTube channel. And it was the Katy Perry Flame video that made me want to do this entire episode. Finally, what do you think about all of this music copyright law? Do you think it stifles creativity? Or do you think it protects an artist's work without overreaching? Tell us what you think on Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, or by writing hi at 20k.org. Thanks for listening. 